Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host. Dili Hussain and my co-host Aki Hussain, Assalamu alaikum everyone Before I introduce today's very esteemed guest I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners That you can find this show on all the major audio platforms Spotify, Google, Apple and everything else And of course if you're viewing in on YouTube Remember to not be cheeky and just watch it without subscribing Like the video, share the video and leave a comment uh, Today's guest is someone who is a dear brother of minds, someone who I have not spent enough time with, but have followed closely enough to know that his presence on this podcast has been long overdue. Mm-hmm. He is an Imam at the Redbridge Islamic Center. He is an author at Islam Twenty One C, and he is an instructor at Sabil. And he's none other than our dear brother Ustad Asim Khan. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Mashallah. It's our pleasure. Barakallah, people coming on. It is overdue, though, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's probably more my fault than yours. I'll tell you something, though. It's been about three years since I lost Soya. I know we've had two years of lockdown. You're looking good, mashallah. Lockdown can go either way, you know. It can be. Most people have gone the wrong way. It went the good way for you, alhamdulillah. How's things? Very good, alhamdulillah. I'm doing well. When was the last time you did a podcast? Yeah, it's been well. That's why we. That's that's why we wanted it. Yeah. But there was a there was a little run that you did. You did quite a few podcasts. I did, yeah. Um, I think the the podcast world kind of exploded at that time, yeah. and uh, I felt like you know when that when when you're thinking about what that should look like, it should move with the times. Mm. So therefore, I thought, yeah, I'll just do some podcasts. And I had to give it. Yeah, when I saw you appearing, mashallah, on all the major Muslim podcasts, I was. Uh, uh, is there such a thing as being pleasantly jealous? Is such does such a thing exist? Yeah, of course. There is, so yeah. I'm there thinking, okay, well, so happy for your brother. I'm happy, but I'm like, when am I gonna have you on? So I had to, we always allow a healthy space. Yeah. Before someone else comes on, this sure. is a, this is a policy of ours, but it is longer vision. And thank you for honouring us for coming no, it's on. It's my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Well, so we've had a kind of a, a running theme. Um, me and Aki did a podcast on men's uh, mental health, um, and what we kind of regard as masculinity. Um, there was mixed feedback. Um, many agreed with us. Many disagreed with us. Um, then, with the brothers, uh, brother Muhammad Yahyawi, I think that podcast may come before or after yours. We also spoke about masculinity, and yep. you know, uh, obviously, that he came from an, uh, a, a wrestling and contact sports point of view. Um, but today, I've brought you on to kick off today's podcast about this concept of masculinity. Now, masculinity is an English term, mm. and I guess the closest. And it comes with this Western understanding and meanings when the word is used. And we know, and you know, as someone who's a very senior and versed student of knowledge, that words are vehicles to meaning. It's very important. Like, you can't have an English word to now represent an Arabic or a Shari'i term. It's, it's, you can't do this. It can be problematic. But the closest thing I could find in the Quran and Sunnah was when Allah refers to Muslim men as being qawwam. Yeah. Uh, over their yeah. women Can yeah. you please elaborate First and foremost What does this term Qawam mean and, and and where does Allah cite it? So it's a good topic And um, masculinity today Is obviously one a hot topic as well Very hot um, And with that There's lots of loaded Assumed meanings So it's good to talk about the terms And in Arabic Qawam is definitely up there But also uh, Rujula like, Which means manhood 
and muru'a, which means chivalry. They're all kind of uh, Islamic terms that you find in this discourse. But I tell you what's interesting is that the need to speak about what it means to be a man is in and of itself quite alien to Islam. Because in the Quran and in the Sunnah, we don't find verses saying, okay, men, this is what you're supposed to be like, and women, this is what you're supposed to be like. It's part and parcel of the fitrah that Allah has given us that we have our intrinsic traits and qualities as men and as women, and it's not something that needs to be spelt out. In fact, sometimes when you spell those things out, that's when you get the controversy, and that's where you get the, the tension as well. Mm. Um, so, for the, but for the, because there's confusion now, and because of the fact that even you know Muslims are confused about okay, in terms of my rights as a husband, for example, or in terms of as a father, or just what it means to be a, a, a good Muslim man living in this day and age, could you define that for me? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What are the qualities? So maybe just for that sake, we can have a conversation. But really and truly, a sensible person should realize that you know what this is a bit of a silly topic. To be honest, I mean. It's assumed we know. <laughs> I can't remember my mum and dad or my dad talking to somebody else saying, you know, what is masculinity? What does it mean to be a man? He never taught me never. what it meant to no, be a man. No, no, never about any of you like, you know, listen, son, now that conversation comes where 100%. I tell you what it means to be a man. And even though Allah has blessed me with a son, I hope that I would never have to have that conversation. And if I did, it would be with this hand. No, I'm joking, <laughs> with this hand. It would be just to clarify things, you know, yeah. because of the corruptive nature of the modern day Discourse. So boom, I'm very glad you put that very important caveat there Perhaps those conversations didn't happen with our fathers Because number one, the issue that we're seeing now wasn't so prevalent or apparent then Or didn't exist at all Or didn't exist at all Especially in the world that we live in at the time So if you look at, let's say, uh, Sadasim, is your origin Pakistan? Yeah um, uh, And did uh, when did uncle come here? Uh, 67, 68 so exactly, like, like the same as our dad yeah. right? So that wasn't a problem then yeah. yeah. That and, and I would say these problems first started emerging, I would say, after two thousands, right? Um, where certain lobby groups, um, certain ideas were becoming more prevalent, more normative, more mainstream in popular culture, introduced into schools. So we're now in a situation where as you rightly said, the the circumstances has necessi- necessitated for us to not talk about it. Yeah. So please can we have that conversation today? No, no, for sure. I do I do want to speak about that. And um if we go for the word qawwam, uh, taken from the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah, Ar-Rijalu Qawwamun Al-Nisa, that men are this qawwam over women, what it does, it kind of skews the conversation because our understanding is rooted in the relationship vis-a-vis a woman. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the case. Uh, manhood or masculinity revolves around the interactions we have as, as brothers, as part of... Um, uh, chivalry and manhood that we conduct ourselves in a particular way between brothers and between women and between how I uh, treat animals, how I treat uh, relations, how I behave with Allah as a man also has its uh, also has a standing as well. Mm-hmm. So what it means to be a man is not just how you treat women it's how you uh, live uh, your life in the way you interact with those that are important to you in your life and number one is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's the first point uh, the second thing I want to say is that as, as a man defining it based on modern day liberal values mm. is extremely problematic for a Muslim of course because it, it's like a pendulum 
Now one day it's like this and the next day it's like that and that will lead to confusion and it will lead to um, not finding satisfaction. And you know, if you look at the covers of magazines, what does that man look like? You know, the Gillette, the best a man can get. Mm. That type of clean shaven, yeah, yeah. heavily built, you know, a deep voice. Looks Batman. like a toy. Yeah, like a toy. Like an actual one. It's unattainable, firstly. Mm. And, and secondly, it's um, fleeting. Maybe once in your life it'll look like that. Now they want dad bods. Dad huh? bods are quite popular now. What's a dad bod? Like a dad bod. A, yeah. a, 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 a dad bod. You've seen it. Someone's got a bit of a dad. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a dad. You know, it's, no, it's a bit hairy. Let's himself go That's a little thing. bit. Yeah. 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 Things wow. there's, a, there's, a, there's a strand of attraction towards men now where they are not so uh, concerned about how they appear in the kind of like uh, typical right. attractive but as It's but like the countercurrent, basically. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, but as yeah. you said, things are exactly. constantly shifting. Yeah. In a liberal world, Moral goalposts and even definitions are constantly shifting and changing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what we could do is then say, okay, forget about that. Let's let's throw out uh, ideas or uh, values that we believe have uh, substance that we should attach ourselves to as men and say, okay, that's what it means to be like as a man. But I think that's not even useful either because between us, we'd come to some disagreement on certain things. And then you'd be like, well, in certain cultures, it doesn't work for them. They're like this, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So in reality, the best definition of what it means to be a man is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet And whoever follows the sunnah of the Prophet will automatically be a real man. And every woman that follows the sunnah of the Prophet according to what relates to a woman will be automatically become a real woman. And that is where we should start the conversation. Because then there's no arguments amongst Muslims. Isn't it about about these things? Because some of the some of the areas, uh, the Quran and the Prophet have kept silent. Mm. Yeah, maybe some things like fashion and diet and X Y Z. So there's space there for you to adopt things according to your dispensation and your personality. But then there's other things that have clearly been spelt out or there's guidance being given, which you need to adopt, even if it goes against your personality traits. And the more you do that, the more you will fit the ideal model of what it means to be a Muslim man or woman. Can you give us an example of some of these things which are not non-negotiables, let's say. So I know you I know you refer to things like fashion or diet or, or things that could be Urfi. I get that. Yeah. yeah. But what what are the non-negotiables when it comes to Define gender roles or well, let's let's make it very easy for for the purpose of of the question because it's very broad, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and Ustad, you for the sake of uniformity, absolutely correct in that following the Sunnah of Rasulullah yes. yes. is uniformity. There you go. Here's your answer. Yeah, you want to see what it's like to be a real man or to be a real woman? Exactly. Let's yeah. look at the life of Rasulullah If we give an example to Ustad of what. What examples or what lessons can we take from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam with respects to how men are with female relatives, or how they are in search of a spouse? Because that, 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 that's, that's that's an example we can look at now, where there are real questions and real dilemmas and, and real challenges and confusion that exists for Muslim men, and and where and whether they're being manly enough or whether they're compromising certain values or. Whether they're just confused, that makes sense. Because, uh, it because, does. Because asking Ustad, we're going to have, ex- have a sub-debate now between the brothers. Give us an example from the Sunnah of how to be a real man. Oh, where do we start? Exactly. Do we start in Makkah, do we start in Medina? Do we, 
Yeah, okay. there's, there's basically there's, there's so many things we could mention into as a response to that, but it might not lead to a conclusive type of understanding on this subject. Surely, when we say, surely when we say, or do we or do we cite problems? Okay, no, no, hold on. Even if, we, way, yeah. Yeah, even if we were to talk between Islamic movements or du'at, right, or, or mashayikh or ulama of different persuasions or revivalist groups or even this conversation here, I'm not saying that this was your purpose, I mean, your aims or your purpose by any means. When you say you go back to the Sunnah of the Prophet, everyone can say that. Sure. And, yeah, they, yeah. and, and, and those differences will still remain, right? So I guess what I'm asking you is if we were to, let's say, perhaps, okay, fine. Uh, maybe this may work. We have to give examples. We have to give examples. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. So, a massive issue is, especially for Londoners, Londoners who are married, to survive with the with the price of rent yes, or yeah. mortgage, both yeah. spouses need to work. Is Yanni? I don't know about non-Safi. It's common. I don't know about non-Saf Asians and non-Desis, but I can at least speak for Pakistanis, Gujis, and Bengalis. <laughs> right? Yeah. That if they are a couple renting or mortgaging. Um, in London, nearly always both of them need to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In an ideal situation, or like because the example of Khadija Radhiallahu has always cited yeah. as to why a woman can be an entrepreneur and be a businesswoman, and you know and she pursue those things, and pursue those things, be successful. Right? But then, they, but then it's conveniently forgotten that her her servant boy or she had a servant who used to attend some of the business meetings on her behalf. That Khadija Radhiallahu respected the norms and the orf of her time. That it was not normal for women to attend those meetings amongst male, predominantly male merchants. Am I correct in this? Yeah, yeah, and in fact, one of the requirements or needs of her wanting Prophet Sallam's services true. was for for him to be an advocate and representative during her business. That's right. Yeah, yeah. as opposed to what's presented to us by certain groups is that yeah, that's just the position she can work and she can have business and and be in certain environments. Now, some will say, look, at a mushkila, we need our wives to work. Yeah, we can't survive. Right, it's not ideal. So she has to go work in an environment which we wouldn't want our women to work in. Whether it's male dominated or non-Muslim dominated, or you know, there's or busy, or busy requires a lot of travelling, yeah. you know, and exposed to the public, or the fact that she might earn more than him. Exactly. Yeah. So, from a prophetic point of view, what is the position, from your understanding, of women working? I tell you, let's put that on ice for a moment, yeah. Okay. Because are we going to return to it? We'll we'll come to it for okay. sure, one hundred percent, inshallah. But just trying to think further, okay? Because you know, when I said, oh, "What does it mean to be a man?" You say, "Okay." What the ideal man is the Prophet and therefore we can take him as an example, mm. and that's not a cop out. That is actually our basis. Absolutely, hundred percent. To be honest, Absolutely. you will not find a better starting point in this conversation than the one I mentioned. Let me defend myself slightly. Well, no, 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 it's fine. It's I'm fine. But, but, but what I mean is that it, it, it is such a commonly cited answer. We know it's the truth, but it means different things to someone else. That's true as well. For, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, the, you know, you'll hear, oh, um, uh, um, my dear husband, why are you not washing and cleaning? The Prophet used to help his family. Probably used to help his family. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so I'm saying he would, that he would mend his own clothes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, 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 so now you should that, become a seamstress. Yeah. So, 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 so or darzi, you understand? That's what I'm trying you to know. say. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I to, totally understand. Course, but we can build on that, though. Okay. So we can go further. We can say, okay, so that's one example. But let's look at the Quran as well. We've got uh, heroes in the Quran and we've got uh, female role models in the Quran as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. What things does Allah celebrate in those individuals? Because what Allah celebrates in those indivi- individuals are the things that we should um, look to as the definition of what makes a good man and a good woman. Mm-hmm. That seems like a sensible thing to do. Boom, no? absolutely. Yeah? So if we go for women celebrated in the Quran, uh, 
uh, we find uh, Maryam and Asiya are probably the top two. Yes. Like in Surah Tahrim, there's half a page dedicated to Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun. And then we've got whole, the whole Surah, Maryam. Of right? course. And the mother of Maryam is also a part of that story as well. So if, if I ask you two now, okay, um, let's take them one at a time. I don't know how much you know about Asiya, but when I say her name, what qualities come to your mind? It's interesting that you mentioned Asiya because Aki I'm mentioned the story of Asiya oh. in our episode about men's masculinity and mental health. And the previous? Yeah, yeah. Okay. In, in the context of her sabr, in the context of her devotion to Allah, yeah. um, in the context of her role as a servant of Allah, Good. Yeah. Uh, her forbearance, and, and as the wife of Fir'aun, yeah, and 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 the contrast between the two, someone Fir'aun who is Fir'aun, a, a symbol of evil, symbol of evil, yeah, and Asya salam who was seen as you know, an example of steadfastness and worship, and uh, and and devotion to Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, so those are those are the two examples and the two the the contrast, if you like. Great, yeah. So piety, uh, belief, uh, patience. Um, Ibn Ashur, one of the great commentators of the Quran He said that when uh, Fir'aun found out Without any doubt that his wife was a believer In Musa alayhi salam That uh, he tortured her to death And when he was torturing her Or when he had someone torture her um, She saw a vision of a palace made out of a pearl in paradise As she asked Allah Make for me a house in paradise next to you so why I found fascinating about that is she already lived in a palace. She's the wife of Pharaoh. She had the world at her feet. The best palace. The best on, palace. On a worldly yeah. point of view. Yeah, yeah. even pr- probably the great civilization at that time and mm-hmm. for many years to come. And yet she renounced material wealth for faith. And she put it all on the line and she suffered for that. And you know, she, as a result, she became a hero, a heroine for all humanity. So that's uh, Asiya, okay, mm-hmm. so uh, maybe sta- um, her faith and her, her patience and her piety, okay. What about Maryam salam? What comes into your mind when we mention Maryam? Trying to think more about the Quranic narrative as well. Maryam salam was more to do with her... Chastity. Good, chastity, yeah. Her tawakkul in Allah, right? The, you know, the, the fact that she followed the orders from Allah and, and believed in the outcome... Um, well, piety, what devotion piety against piety. What was her greatest contribution? Was giving birth to Isa. Exactly, a mother, being, she, being yeah, a mother, being a mother. Yeah, the fact that she's the one who brought this incredible human being, Isa salam, guide to humanity into this world. So, number one, that she was went to the utmost extent in protecting atacity. And the fact that she raised this great child. In fact, both both those two things are connected because imagine the the shock when she's the one thing that she's really good at as growing up as a young woman is protecting her chastity, being pious. And then her test is she becomes pregnant. And everyone's gonna start pointing fingers. Yeah. And the shame that would come with that. So Allah tested her in the most The worst possible thing. Yeah, basically in, in the in area terms of that, yeah, society. Exactly. In the in the thing that she was really good at, mm. Allah turned that into In the hottest way. Yeah. It, it, yeah. To put it in very simple terms. Yeah. And even in the Quran, you know, she does in the in when she's giving birth, she says, Ya Hadha if only I was dead before this happened to me. It's a very explicit and shocking statement. Mm. Allah mentioned it 
so it humanizes her experience so we understand what she went through uh, but as a result you know she became the hero the heroine that she is because she gave birth to Isa Islam despite all of that yep so those are the two top those are the two top role models in the Quran for the side of women if you go to men now um, it's a little bit easier I think maybe if we think about um, uh, Ibrahim Islam what uh, qualities come into your mind uh, strength in faith yeah sacrifice sacrifice even the literal sacrifice literal right? sacrifice yeah, and um, his position in terms of uh, his belief in Allah at a young age good yeah as Un- a young man uncompromising in, in in the belief in one Allah but also always willing to engage those who were in disbelief yep like the debate with the king yes king nimrod he yep. debated him what about musa alayhisalam Wow, Musa Al Islam's where do we it's start? A big body of work. A big body, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean you've 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 got the you've but got what, one one outstanding thing about Musa Al Islam. Well, I mean if, if for me it was his patience with his people. Okay, yeah. Especially the after the latter period, the post Pharaoh period. The stubbornness of the stubbornness people, of his yeah. people, patience there. What about with uh, before that though? Uh, standing, um, standing, standing, for, standing for the truth. Standing for yeah. the truth against oppression. Yes, yeah, speaking truth to tyrant, isn't yeah. it? Speaking truth to power, that was his. That was one of the things yeah. that you know makes him such a great person for us to follow. That he came up with the the biggest tyrant of all, the Fir'aun, who we don't know of anyone more evil in the Quran than him. And yet, even though he was so powerful, he spoke truth to power, and he liberated the Israelites from mm. slavery, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. an activist. Yep, yep. And if we go for one more main example, if we go for uh, Noah mm-hmm. Noah. What comes into your mind when you think of his struggle, his his life, his legacy? What is it that the Quran really does bring to the forefront? For me, it was commitment, commitment, yeah. pa- patience for so many years of 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 of, of ibadah and dawah. Yes. Um, steadfastness and sabr in in the face of uh, mockery, yeah, and rejection, rejection um, and also recognizing from, from uh, son as well. Yeah, and and, and yeah, recognizing uh, yeah. 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 So da'wah basically Yes Because mm. that's the main thing That Quran says For 950 years He kept giving da'wah Which is To be honest Boggles your mind That somebody could continue Exhausting their efforts In this cause Not seeing that much Fruit mm-hmm. in, in, in return Now if you put those two th- If you put all that together I personally see a thread Which is that When it came to the men Who are uh, Celebrating the Quran There's a common thread Which is that They had active Public life Of leadership and publicly calling others to good. For the side of the women, it's not the same. For the side of the women, you look at Asiya, look at Maryam, uh, you find that their qualities were personal relationship with Allah, like Asiya you mentioned, and Maryam being a mother, and not just being a mother, being a great mother. Of course. So we should use them as, as some type of guide in thinking about, okay, what does it mean to be a great man? What does it mean to be a great woman? And that's the reason why they're mentioned. Those are the specific things that Allah wanted us to read and to deliberate over. It's not something just as a history lesson that, by the way, there was this woman, by the way, there was this guy. Mm. And we know that, you know, the the prophets of Allah were all men. There is a, a fringe opinion that there were some one or two prophetesses, but majority, over a majority, are that they were men. So these things should speak volumes in this discussion, Absolutely. but they don't. People like to take other things as their reference point. And that's why I said we should go back to our sources, the Sunnah of the Prophet and the Quran, to have the biggest voice 
in defining okay what does it mean to be a real man mm. what does it mean to be a woman because a lot of these things they're undisputable when you look at them in a holistic way and to the maybe correct in the sources yeah in the correct sources yes and what we just did right now I mean, you know, this is just a conversation. No, it's that was beautiful. A, no, no, a scientific no. study or anything. No, 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 no that was honest, beautiful. Most Muslims that listen, you know, it's got a point there, man. Like, no, 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 that was I beautiful. I read the story of Maryam from Asia. Because you're right. As a Muslim man or a Muslim woman, where else would you want to go to? To get yeah. a, some kind of blueprint or a value-based framework as to what is expected of us from our creator, as well. Yeah. What is the, what is the really confusing times as well. Yeah. Especially and in confusing times and, 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 and we should reflect and ask ourselves the question What is the wisdom behind Allah sharing these stories with us? Exactly, why those specific things as well When there's a whole lifetime worth of information on this person, that person sure. But Allah selected this and Allah selected that For our ears, for this ummah I mean, I know, there's a, I, know, I know this is just a side point That I would want to get your thoughts on But I don't want us to kind of focus on it too much Because I think the answer is already kind of there It's glaringly obvious There's obviously those you mentioned it. You said um, people want to refer to other things mm. uh, to, to find out what is meant by the right woman, the good woman, the successful woman, the successful man, etc., and so forth. How would you encourage parents um, and husbands and wives, as well as just generally adult Muslim men and women, yeah. right, to steer away from other sources of references to how we define ourselves? To the Quran and Sunnah Because that is a massive problem In and of itself yeah. Because now, we, now we're descending into Why wouldn't you refer to The Quran and Sunnah too exactly, so, so, yeah. so, so please elaborate on some, some words of encouragement To those who at the moment For whatever reasons they're going through For whatever crisis Or issues or realities Or exposure that they're going through Are not going to the Quran and Sunnah Yeah I, I tell you something I've, A very close friend of mine He went through a very uh, messy divorce And uh, On the back of that You know He fell into depression As many people do And he started listening to He, he told me I'll listen to these mentors And I was like Okay One of them life coach guys Yeah The okay. life coach guys And then We were on a car together Going to up north And he's I said Look, Put some of this on Let me listen to it So You know There's these individuals You know They, they speak with A lot of charisma And uh, They say a few good things As well but on the whole, I felt, I felt, you know what, this is for me, I can't tolerate listening to this. <laughs> the reason being is because, like, for somebody who reads the Qur'an, mm-hmm. studies the Qur'an, reads the, the, the sayings of the Prophet. It's not coming from there. I, I just see that there's such a gulf between the two things. It's inadequate. That I feel embarrassed that I would allow myself to listen to this and find inspiration, even though there is some goodness in it, mm. no doubt. But I didn't say that because this is this is my brother. Yeah. He's finding solace in this. But I feel like people don't need to understand that either you are being influenced or you are an influencer. Mm-hmm. So whenever you listen to something, what you're saying is that I'm allowing you to influence me mm-hmm. and to shape my thoughts. And therefore, if you don't listen to the Quran, if you don't listen to the Quran as in the recitation, you don't read the Quran in terms of the, the, the translation, you don't listen to people telling you this is what Allah says in the Quran, You've got no influence whatsoever from that voice. When at the same time, you would happily say, this is the biggest uh, and most substantial voice in my life, the voice of Allah through the mm-hmm. Quran and the voice of the Prophet Wasallam. So you have to be real with yourself that what's happening, you're getting influenced by everyone other than mm-hmm. Allah and, and the Prophet Wasallam. As soon as you take that move and say, actually, you know what, let me 
Even though I don't know Arabic, even though I'm not that religious person, let me at least read what this book has to say. You know, yeah, no, get a good translation. Let me just sit down and read. You'll find that you know what this does have the answers, and this does give me clarity, and this does allow me to understand the dilemmas that I'm facing in my life. But unless you give yourself that chance, you'll never know. You'll just listen to people like me saying, "Yeah, you know what? It's got the answers." You're like, "Yeah, but you know, maybe for him, <laughs> maybe for him, you know, he, he went to Egypt. He knows Arabic, but." And I wasn't always like that. You know, the first time I started reading the Quran with translation was in uni. And my chacha, uh, he said to me, Asim, you need to get yourself one of these. So he came, showed me his pocket-sized Quran. You know, the Mosin Ali Khan with the yeah, yeah. burgundy cover. Yeah. And he goes, uh, you know, you need to get this. Uh, Masood, you know, Masood. He said, uh, you need to get it, you, should, you need to do this to it. And he showed me it. And what happened is that he had used it so much that the ends started to fray mm-hmm. and curl up on themselves. Because mm. that's what you need to do with your Quran. I was like, okay. They're the best types of Quran. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then I, I got my copy and on the train I used to read it. And you know, the translation, it wasn't that great. You know, with all the brackets and everything, you you know, you're coming and going sometimes, yeah, to yeah. be fair, reading that. But having said all of that, I was taken aback like, this This is something different. I, I need this. Mm. I'm reading and I'm feeling like, you know, it's changing me inside. And that's that's where it started. What advice, Ustad, would you give to... Brothers and sisters, predominantly brothers, because the subject we've been discussing recently, of course. Yeah. who who find themselves in a situation in a, with an attitude and with a mindset where they pick and choose whether they do it deliberately out of fear of committing to Islam, as in committing themselves to the worship of Allah yeah. and, 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 and to being the best Muslim they can be in terms of obedience, who pick and choose when they refer to Islam to seek solace, to seek support, to seek answers, yeah. uh, because they need some type. Because they wait for a calamity or a dilemma or whatever they regard as being a calamity or a dilemma in their life. No, yeah. no matter however big or small it is, objectively, whether it's they've failed a driving test or whether someone's bereavement, whatever it may be. But it's also important to add that when that happens and you do turn to Islam, that's also not a bad thing either. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm talking about the, the attitude where. We're turning to Islam, turning to Allah Azza wa Jal, the Quran and these kind of things is, is, is seen as medicine only. Yeah. I go to it for therapy. As opposed to it, what advice would you give for, for that attitude to change to something else so that it's actually more all-encompassing? Because yeah. that's when really someone's behavior changes. Someone's yeah. behavior, attitude, mindset, worldview and how they understand what a man is and a woman is changes when you let the, the deen absorb you. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to seeing it as medication. I used to work Only. in France for you many, many years ago. It's no longer around, is it? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, there was this woman, and uh, I thought she was Sikh, so I started speaking to her about Islam. She goes, Why are you talking about Islam? I'm Muslim. I said, Are you Muslim? She goes, Well, actually, I'm half Sikh, I'm half Muslim. Okay. Very unique. Like, yeah, it's all about half Sikh, half Muslim. I said, So, what uh, masjid do you go I, to? I tried to probe a little bit. I said, yeah. So, how do you uh, worship Allah? She goes, well, the thing is, when I feel like, you know, I need to pray, I'll pray to God. Okay. And mm. I was like, okay. So, and I said, and when you don't feel like praying, you, you know? And she goes, yeah, I just don't pray. And you know what? I thought to myself, subhanAllah, many of us are like that. Mm. Many of us are like this woman who said she was half Sikh, half Muslim, that we are very selective in the way we turn to Allah. And what's it? Even more interesting is that the Prophet ﷺ, in his, in his, in his, in his uh, final moments, when he's passing away, when 
you know, in, in, in his most uh, vulnerable, in a weak moment, he called out to Allah, الْأَعْلَى, He said, I seek the companionship of the Most High. And he used the word Rafiq, which means friend, but it also in Arabic means a friend that you lean on in times of need. Like in Arabic, you know, you have a, this is my Sadiq, you know, this is my friend, mm-hmm. uh, this is my Khalil, you know, this is my, my best buddy. But Rafiq is a very intimate way of speaking about a friend, like somebody who I lean on in times of need. And if you think of Allah as your friend, and now you think of your own friend, how would your friend feel if you only pick up the phone when you need something from him? Mm. That friend wouldn't want to be your friend. <laughs> this guy only calls me when he needs money. That guy only calls me when he needs something from me. So we have to recognize that Allah is our friend, but we can't have a long-distance relationship with Allah. Otherwise, how can you expect Allah to be pleased with you? Now, what you said is very true. There's no shame in what you do because you should still do that, turn to Allah in your, when your exams, <laughs> when you're going to get married and all the rest of it. But you need to take the next step. And one thing amazing about Yunus salam, is that when he was in his time of need, in the belly of a whale, okay, you know, covered in darkness and only Allah knows what that would have felt like what to be there, how, be how lonely he must have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he called out to Allah, you know, nafsi. They say, I, I've, I've wronged myself, you know, subhanak, glory be to you. In that moment, Allah answered his dua. In, Ibn Kathir mentioned that uh, the angels, they heard the dua of Yunus salam, and they said to Allah, Allah, we hear the voice of a familiar person coming from a strange place. And Allah said, this is my servant and slave Yunus And the angel said, Allah, on account of the good he used to do in times of good, help him in his time of need. Help him in his time of need. And that teaches us that if you want Allah to be there for you in times of need, you have to be with Allah, with Allah. In Allah times of good as well Allah In both good and, and bad And it just makes sense on a human level as well 100%. You, know, you want to be close to someone You've got to share in their happiness You've got to share in their, in their, in their lows uh, But the benefit of that is Allah is with you 100%. You know, in your, in your good time and, and in your bad time So I, I'd give that advice to you know, the brothers that, that have that And all of us fall into that you know? And it's a little bit obnoxious as well Especially after Allah helped you Then you forget Allah and that's, that's, that's something that the Allah says the mushrikun would do. That when you would say, you know, when the, and in the middle of the ocean, you know, and the storm is brewing, and they see the waves come crashing down, they call out to Allah as though they've been devoted servants all their life. <laughs> and Allah says, When we save them and bring them onto the shores, only a few of them stay loyal to Allah. They just forget about Allah. As if, you know, yeah, you, you, don't want to share, you don't want to share anything with the mushrikun. These are traits obviously that we need to understand how bad they are because mm. we don't really see it like you know, yeah, okay, fair enough, but no, no, it's you, not that you, big a deal. No, no, you definitely put it into perspective there. Um, moving on, but still kind of staying on the theme of uh, Muslim men yep. and, and masculinity from an Islamic point of view, from a Quranic prophetic point of view. Um, there was uh, a concept or a practice which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. Uh, in, this, in the prophetic statements called Aghira. Yes. Right? Um, again, you know, when we try to find English definitions for these terms, it's sometimes you'll never get an accurate definition because of the uniqueness of the Arabic language. But the most commonly one that's cited, and, and, and I'm actually citing um, 
Ustada Fatma Barakatullah in an article that she wrote it was protective jealousy. Yes. Right? Could you elaborate on what this term means um, and, and in what context it was cited by Rasulullah Sallallahu so the the word is uh, from what I read the correct pronunciation ghayra ghayra and uh, it's the feeling of anger towards another entity uh, when they're violating something of yours you or something of yours and in one hadith uh, the Prophet said that Allah yagharu that he has this protective jealousy when he sees his believing slave uh, transgressing his boundaries so Allah has this quality of ghayra, this protective jealousy, if you want to use that. Trans- I think it's a good translation, to be fair. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, a, it's a good translation. I haven't seen anything better, to be honest. So, dismissing it as a negative trait is very dangerous, off the bat, because Allah, this is one of Allah's attributes, mm-hmm. to have this. And then, in another hadith, the Prophet said, there's a type of ghayra that Allah loves. And he defined it as, when somebody has this protective jealousy, when they are grounds for doubt, when there is a riba, which he's talking about. Now the thing is, the hadith has some weakness, so we don't want to build everything on, on a weak course. hadith. But the idea is that you know there is a good understanding of this, a healthy version of this that we should, if we don't have it, internalize it, and if we do have it, we should hold on to it. But then there's also extremes. Yes, there's also extremes. So, for example, you know, honor killings. This is like an extreme manifestation of having this protective jealousy over your family. And that's not something Islam would stand for. But then there's the opposite, which is having no sense of um, possessive jealousy over your wife or your daughter or your mother when men are ogling at them, you know, staring at them. And then another problem I've seen is that men who have this, maybe in the right version as well, are shamed by women and told that this is your insecurity. Yes. Mm. So I'm very glad you touched upon and, that. You know, this is this is a problem. And sisters need to reflect, like what they actually are saying when they make I, those claims. I mean, let's I mean let's flesh this out um, because ghayra or protective jealousy is a term or a concept which recently, in recent years, for whatever ideological trends and changes are happening outside of us, from very powerful entities and lobby groups and ideologies, um, it's seen as a type of control you're, you're basically justifying control isn't it how your wife speaks and how loud she speaks and who she speaks to and who your sister and your daughters how they're carrying themselves what even with the, amongst first cousins what even amongst what what family relatives it's okay quickly add something yeah, it's, it's basically by and large skewed by some criticizers of ghayra mm. from men um to justify um a toxic trait within the man or to label it as a toxic yeah, trait. Yeah, or to label it. Yeah. Yeah. It's concealed as that and it's used as a justification for something that he wants to do because of his own insecurities, actually. That's true. But and, and, and grounding it in Islam because he feels that that will allow it to carry weight. My dear brother, I, look, look, we know of, we have relatives who pray Salah, they cover themselves, you would regard them to be practicing Muslims on paper they mm. would they would define themselves as we are yeah. practicing Muslims and but yet there'll be certain environments there'll be certain family setups uh, social gatherings uh, cultural norms banter between brother-in-laws sister-in-laws cousins this kind of stuff that's allowed mm. and then when you cite 
the concept of ghayra or like why you wouldn't want your your wife or your missus to be in a certain environment or your sister to be in a certain environment or yes we'll attend these gatherings so as long as it's like this and that yeah it's it's thrown at us even as f- from from family members that are somewhat practicing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. so how do we address this problem the thing is it's it's not really a a problem of you know that's the way you like it and this is the way I like it so you know let me be like this and you be like that actually we should say what does islam say about this you know and we know and no muslim disagree that islam has regulations on mm. how the opposite gender should interact absolutely and though they may differ as to what the details are the core value is that it, you should be cautious mm. and uh, you know th- there's a famous hadith of the prophet sallam that ma taraktu ba'di fitnan adarra ala rijali min an-nisa there's there's no tr- a fitna trial that is more harmful that I've left than women for men or the temptation of women that men have and every man knows this mm? every man 100%. knows this except that now it's a bit more actually I, maybe I can't say that mm. as bluntly as I should um but this is the reality they know this. therefore that cautious approach should govern every interaction who would disagree with that absolutely but when it comes to the nitty gritty Uh, like you said, you know, you said brother-in-laws and, and you yeah, said cousins. Yeah, yeah, first cousins, and and the brother-in-laws. Yeah. Because in certain South Asian cultures, right, um, especially from our neck of the woods, yeah. where we come from, our parents come from, where it's actually somewhat normal for brothers to live. Maybe trends are changing, yeah. but it's still happening where you have multiple brothers with their wives in one household, right? Yeah. Um, and so 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 therefore and then during wedding season and marriage there'll be banter between the opposite sides and the, and these things can lead to madness yeah and there's been times where your father's first cousin has, has messed about inappropriately with his niece because of those lax environments we can't pretend that those things have never happened yeah but i guess I'm tr- what i'm trying to say is that how do we overcome those cultural urfi norms which are problematic from a dini point of view yeah we should we should wedding photos that's a standard one that's the most the most standard one which practicing brothers i've seen them do i've attended these weddings yeah. where you just got married you and your wife on stage and all the mandam around her yeah and take photos body massive my brothers praying yeah when I mean, they just pray dhuhr and they just bounce onto stage with, with the brother's wife on the stage yeah. like this is very common it's a common practice yeah very very sorry to w- say that is a sh- would you say is, would you say that's an islamic that practice is shameful behavior that is yeah, yeah. i'm that saying is that is atrocious yeah. i'm saying it's very common yeah and the thing is okay wedding happens once okay khalas you've done that and then that's it. but the more pressing issue was on a daily basis yeah the interaction between cousins and this and the other we have to take the same approach that look maybe the the details of where i should sit and where you should sit have not been spelled out in the quran but we know that when we pray together you got to pray there yeah, and i got to pray over here 100%. so let's why does that go out the window when you're sitting in the front room you know should we not to the best of our ability without being awkward without being weird have that same distance healthy distance and still have that family relations that we 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 can have why why don't we have that as the asl instead of that's what yeah my uh, our uncles and aunties they used to have iftar around the table all, all the time you know mm. why are we going to change now yeah but because that's not in line with the islamic teachings about how we're supposed to interact and that's not where we get our our, our life lessons that's from. not we, yeah that's not where we get our guidance from and the thing is there's some shocking ahadith as well like uh, al-hamu maut the brother-in-law is death i don't know if you come across a hadith yes, or yes. Not. yeah yeah where's that what what is that all about that's about the actual real present danger in a possible infidelity taking place between your wife and your brother mm-hmm. 
And that's coming from the lip of the lips of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as if to say, "Look, just be cautious." And we know from stories of infidelity taking place of between course. married couples and brother-in-laws, and you know, and you know, Allah musta'an. So it's not like we need evidence. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, it's already there. So then, why would you take a laxadaisical approach to this when you know that it could lead to devastating outcomes? You know, at the same time, a person doesn't need to be overly strict. And make things so awkward that the relationship between the family starts to become yeah so distant that there is no real bonds anymore. Mm. You become like strangers. This is the opposite thing that can happen. I mean, I don't think this is as big a problem as this side of the spectrum, mm. but it's also a problem as well. And there's something that uh, Sheikh Salman Al Auda, may Allah free him, uh, he said, which really is is quite profound. He said that whoever closes a door that Allah has not closed, people will break it open. Think about that. Whoever closes the door, Allah is not closed, people will break open. What that means is that if you overly restrict an area that the Sharia hasn't, people will react. And they will react in a way that is not proportional and that will lead to more problems. Yeah. But, but that was as a result of closing that door in the first place. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Being so, you know, there's this, this much flexibility Allah gave you, but you said, no, 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 it's this much. Yeah. People are like, what? No. <laughs> the when they react, yeah. you are the cause of the outcome to that situation. Yeah. So there must be, uh, you know, a, a, a nuanced understanding to these tricky sensitive issues and you add on the layer of you know we're living in a normal society where it's a highly sexualized society and this is something that people do not appreciate we're living where there is sex everywhere everywhere, everywhere. and people spend more than eight hours on their screen 147 minutes the average person spends on social media every single day what are they looking at so they're being fed all this sexualized content and then you're saying, yeah, we should just be open. We can be friends with each other. We can talk to each other. I mean, you're living in cuckoo land. You're living cuckoo. I mean, they know where they're living. They know where they're living. But you know what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, they are living you're in cuckoo. They like cuckoo land. That, you know, <laughs> they're like cuckoo land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they're not going to like it when they find out that their partners cheat on them. Yeah, yeah. No one likes it when their partners mm, cheat on them. Even till today, with all the promiscuity, people still shame others for cheating, mm. being a cheat. Isn't it? And mm. I still find that quite amazing. Like, mm. you'd be so liberal in yeah. everything, but yet. Don't you dare shoot on me. Yeah, yeah. Expectation is so like, hard, isn't it? Ca- don't be unfaithful, how? but live live like this. Allah, I don't I don't understand how people can have that standard mm. in their mind when uh, everything that is required to maintain that standard, they beat down and they mm. say, "No, that's conservatism. That's extremism. That's just you being weird, etc., etc." Like, honestly, where does that come from? Um, you know, um, give us an. Give us an example or perhaps you know some guidelines as to what kind of relationship should you have with Sirat Rahim? So your first cousins, who you've been raised with as children, who you did play with at a time where it was okay to play with. Yeah. You've, you've got a brotherly sister relationship, albeit the Sharia allows you to marry each other yeah. as you get to a particular age yeah. and so forth. What is the type of you know, prophetic, Islamic, you know, wise, cautious? What are the limits? What are the limits between first cousins, second cousins, first cousins? Regarding, regarding family, you're supposed to be there for them in their good times and their bad times. There should be a level of closeness that they come to you before they go to other people. And everything that's required to maintain that level should be kept. The only, the only regulation is that, look, if, she's the opposite, if they're the opposite gender, then when you do sit down, you shouldn't be alone. Yeah? And uh, when there is interaction, it should be respectful and it should be done uh, with good intentions. And this is another thing that people, they fall down on, which is, on the face of it, things are kushti, but in the mind, there's 
shahwa there's lust mm. and a person needs to cuz that's where all the mazas are yeah yeah so so the person needs to say even though this is technically halal yeah in here it's not halal anymore. need to check themselves so i need to i need to actually withdraw a little bit purify my intentions work on myself then put myself back in this situation so uh, family needs to be uh, you need to make efforts and maybe even more efforts because of these types of uh, regulations that we have to follow to make sure that you know this is taken care of so for example it could be now your you know your cousin she's got married okay what about husband you should come closer to him so that you can be closer to her and that if there's a problem between the both of them that she, that he would tell you that you know she's going through this problem at the moment make dua or can you give advice this and that. so there's there's ways that we can explore and to be creative so that we can keep that bond together and muslims you know as sheikh hatem says the unity of the ummah comes from the unity of the family 100% and if the family are not united then the ummah will never be united so we have to and you know i i fall short in this area you know and it's something that i need to work on so do we but it's it's an important it's an important thing yeah and we shouldn't let the fact that you know khalwa being alone with the opposite gender uh be the excuse that we use that you know yeah therefore I don't need to chat to anyone that she can she's living her life I'm living my life that that shouldn't be the case so you know staying on this on the theme of uh, having radar mm. having protective uh, jealousy and stuff in the, in the age of social media um where everything's just on Instagram and snap and you know um again it is common I'm not, I'm not even talking about what's on paper perceived as and I don't like using these terms because they mean different things yeah. right practicing couples yani posting pictures of themselves um she's beautified he has no problem they're making tiktok videos together yeah. um some of them even couch it around reminders and stuff like this but when you're doing these reminders you you know yeah fine hijab jilbab is on but other things are being reminded as well uh, other things have been reminded you know she 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 looks prepared like she she, she you know so yeah. what would your advice be to i'm i'm not talking about the practicing community here mm. practicing brothers and sisters people yeah. who 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 otherwise would consider themselves to be practicing right or at least attempting to be practicing right? in f- in fact they they you can you would argue that their entire social media uh, presence and um and profile is for the purpose of trying to teach some type of good mm. you'll find those yes ones. yes 100% well, I, in fact my, my presence and I, the reason i'm doing what i'm doing is because i feel that like there is some good in this and my purpose of doing it is actually to bring people closer to islam in some uh, bizarre strange strategies we're not even talking about the bande who who rago just flexing with their women doing yeah, this uh, doing yeah. these yeah, 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 yeah. because because we 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 but then we have to go back to stage 1 which is irish dancing yeah like we have to go irish <laughs> yeah or like these ones there wow. so like you know who, who who eats the most uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, who has the worst anger yeah uh, who's the best cook that should only be, you know I mean oh, I don't know actually oh, who's the best know. cook those ones there yeah who's oh, the best person yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Who, who gives each other the beats more this one again oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no we're not yeah. talking about them because they they still at stage 1 which is reconnect with the quran reconnect with your identity yeah, yeah. go back to the source get off your phone we're talking about the ones <laughs> who have already doing those things but still you know they 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 appear on social media their wives appear on social media they're doing it together and quite frankly they can very quickly also find those pitfalls of thirsty people online 
Yeah. And, 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 and flexing your wife, even though you think that she's covered and stuff like this. Is this something that's encouraged? Would you encourage this to a young student of yours? I mean, I'm, I'm old school. I would never post a, a picture of my wife on social media, even if it was with niqab. But at the same time, I'm all for Muslim uh, youth, not the youth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> youth uh, finding creative ways to spread the message of Islam, even if it's, even if it's as a, an afterthought type of thing on their platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm into fashion, I'm into bodybuilding, whatever. But I can give a good message as well. Yes. I, I even encourage that. You know, so don't the whole your whole presence is not about you know giving that or your whole presence is about maybe fashion or something. But then you use that sure. you know to get, when you get a following yeah. to give a good message. However, what I'm totally against is when the husband and wife videos are coming out on TikTok and Instagram, and there's beautification. And the thing is, when you go in front of a camera, you're gonna beautify yourself, man. Of course, people are watch, people are watching you. Yeah, people are watching you. You feel that desire to do that. Of course. Now you're going to fall into problems, which is, okay, you're going to go down that slippery slope, slippery slope, which is, how much is enough? Is it just the eyeliner? What about the eyelashes? People what about leave this? comments, you read those comments, exactly, how much yeah. likes has it got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's so hyping what? What do they like about it? It feeds into your ego, generally, anyway. When you make it about you and your face, now you're, now you're going to battle with your intention. Why am I doing this? Is it really about Allah? Is it about my presence and secondly uh, you're somebody's wife yeah which what does that mean it means that uh, your role in this life now is no longer as a single woman but now it's a wife and as a mother how how does this connect with that because for many people this takes over their life mm. and it becomes their baby isn't it mm-hmm. their identity their yeah yeah their identity but as a Muslim woman what is your vision because if you haven't even answered that question, you'll be turning around thinking, yeah, my vision is you know, what other women are doing as well. And what other women are doing is becoming TikTokers and influencers and making money through endorsements and all the rest of it. So what I would say to our Muslim sisters is that you have to clarify what is your vision first and then plan out if you're going to have a social media presence around that. One of the most amazing things uh, my wife told me about, uh, you know, Farat Hashimi? Yes, of course. Very famous yes, very well Pakistan scholar, Pakistan Quran, scholar, yeah. yeah. Huda uh, Institute, of course. teaching Quran around the world. Old school. Yeah, Inshallah. old school. Allah bless him. That she, uh, you know, she told her students that you know, before I do my dars, and don't know how many she does in a day, uh, I asked my husband, is there anything you want me to do? And if the answer is yes, then I will do that before I do anything else. Now, this is a, <coughs> this is a woman who has knowledge about deen, Probably more than many male du'at preachers a, out she's there. She's a giant of our time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean you put it quite lightly. Dr. Farad Qasmi is very well known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big in the Dao scene. So, um, the, and despite her knowledge and despite her position, what she was teaching the students is that in the grand scheme of things, the priority towards my husband, according to Allah, is greater than my priority towards teaching the ummah. And that speaks volumes. That means that she knows what her priorities are. And that's with everything that she's been given. What about if you're not on that level mm. and you're still making those compromises? Mm. So my, my general principle is that uh, you, can, you can have uh, you know, uh, your, your channels doing khair. That's fine. 
But d- where does it fit in with the vision? And make sure it's khair as well, yeah. Yeah, make, make sure it's khair. But you said you're talking about practicing mm-hmm. evil. But make sure uh, that your intentions are clear. It's with the vision. But make sure it doesn't compromise on the priorities. And this goes back to the discussion about working. 100%. Yeah, because you said about, uh, you know, uh, the need to work. The Easy, need to work. Back. You went back to that first question. <laughs> the need to work is one thing. The desire to work is something else. Yeah. yeah and people usually conflate the two, you know. And... Um, if you live in London, you need two incomes. And you know, that's the system that they created. They want the tax money that comes from the second employee in the house. 100%. It's not It's not just it happened by accident. Oh, mm. we've got to go with it. 100%. This is the system. This is, why, this is why first wave feminism got a lot of support eventually because it's yeah. an extra taxation of the other gender. Same thing as Saudiization right now. Mm. <laughs> why do you think women are allowed to drive? Yeah. So you'll buy another car. Yeah. Why are they allowed to work? Man, that's going to be more more money to yep. the government, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully, I'll go Umrah again, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, the need to work versus the desire to work. Forget about the need because the need is well. What can we do? The need. You know, the need is the need. We gotta we gotta roll with it in the best way. But when it comes to desire and what I should aspire to, that's where the discussion is. When it comes to this, it's actually very simple. It's not that complicated. The fact is that uh, as a woman. Allah, or women rather, have been given certain traits uh, and qualities that men have not been given, and the vice versa. And mm-hmm. based on that, they have roles that are different. And those roles are complementary. They're not contradictory. And those who therefore follow their traits, their intrinsic traits, and go with those roles will live a life where they will find happiness. And a lot of sisters and brothers don't understand this point. That when they think, oh yeah, your wife's got to be obedient to the husband. Oh yeah, the man says, I've got to work, etc., etc., be the breadwinner. In their mind, they accept that begrudgingly. Yeah? For whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize that actually not following on that order or if that it, command it's gonna cause bigger pro- will cause bigger problems. Will lead to unhappiness. It does lead to unhappiness, 100%. and some of the some some women, you know, they talk about this that you know I my, I had a fantastic career and lots of money in the process, mm. you know I felt that I lost X Y Z and now I feel unfulfilled, and, uh, and you know, you're and you're in alone with a cat now, huh? you're alone with a cat, yeah. Mm. I'm telling you this, this is very. I only truly appreciated this when you know that brother I said a friend of mine went through a bad divorce, mm. so. Um, he's allowed me to mention the story without some identifiable details, but it was it was uh, it's very strange the way things happened because initially he was he got married, lived with his parents, and it didn't work out, so he moved out. He moved out, and you know he was, he was happy. They, they they had a child, and then the issue of finances came up, so he moved back into the house with his mother and father, elderly, difficult people. Things got very tricky, and so he said they decided that we need to save up buy a house and, and mm. move out how are we going to save up you need to work so the husband he pressured the uh, the wife to husband work. being your friend uh, yeah he mm. pressured the wife to work and begrudgingly she accepted and then they ended up uh, working in the same place the same it's a big company mm-hmm. same company so uh, they thought you know, this is good you know we see each other and you know yeah, we can Look out for each other, etc., etc. Over the course of the years, um, the marriage became uh, it started to sour, basically, and the romance, love, everything went. And uh, he started to talk to me about trust issues, and, I, and in my mind, 
I didn't make any connections. I was just like, you know, he started saying, you know, she's always on the phone. Like, uh, even in the middle of the night, she'll look at the phone. And I was like, people get addicted to the phones. Maybe, you know, depression, you, I don't know, you, you just become more attached to your device, whatever. And then after some time, he said, you know, my uh, other half, she said that she doesn't want to be with me anymore. She's forcing me to divorce her. I don't want to divorce her. We've got a child. So I said, uh, listen, we need to sp speak to your wife and see what's going on. She doesn't want to speak to anyone. I said, look, okay, maybe my mum. My mum's a counsellor. You know, she's a woman, she's a counsellor. So she doesn't speak to anyone. I said, look, what's, what's happened here? He goes, Not, nothing. She wants a divorce and that's the end of it. One day he, he took out an old phone. Um, he was looking through his drawer. He saw an old phone. And uh, that old phone was connected to uh, the WhatsApp of his other half. And I don't know how, but there was some downloading of um, of the chats. And he, he opened a chat which had the most messages. And the name was a lady's name. And what he read led to the revelation that his wife's having an affair. Absolutely devastated. Soul-destroying and what happened is that he didn't know what to do and then things got even nasty after that but I won't continue with the story I'll just pause it there because one of the things that I learned from just that episode is that look this the, the sister initially didn't want to work was there affair with someone from work? yeah in work so she ended up having an affair with somebody who she started working with in that workplace, which is the same workplace as her husband. So I thought to myself, you know, forget the blame. Who's to blame on this? But just look at the, the steps behind this. That led to it. Yeah, that led to it. And look at how the Sharia came to mitigate those type of situations even arising. So it's clear that one, the, the sister didn't maybe thought that these kind of things, you know, would happen. I'll go to work and I'll get messed up or this would happen. I don't want to do it. Yeah, but once you open that door, and you say, let me see myself, which is what a lot of Muslims do. Let me see, my, I can handle it, it's fine. That's when they fall into problems. So going back to the, the work situation, I would say, look, sisters, if you need to work, okay, that's fine. When you do go to work, work in an environment that is conducive to safeguarding your chastity and your iman. And that could look different for every single person, but that's the expectation you should place yourself on. If you need to take a pay cut, take a pay cut to have that security from falling into this between you and Allah. Forget about your husband, between you and Allah. And secondly, when it comes to when it comes to work, the priority it cannot come at the expense of greater priorities. The husband and, and the family and, and the children, this has to be your greatest priority. So therefore, if you have a choice, not need, a choice, you must factor these things in. And if you can work whilst juggling these things and your husband's okay, bismillah. Islamically speaking, there's nothing wrong with wanting that desire. Mm -hmm. But when it comes at the cost of these things, now, forget about your husband, it's between you and Allah, there's a problem. Mm. You know? And I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. And I know because as an imam, I get these situations and stories coming to me all the time. And uh, from that basis do I advise my sisters. Not from a basis like, you know, what would I want in my wife? You know, let me just project that onto all the sisters. No, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to understand. This is the situations that arise later on that hurt you. And the Sharia is giving these guidelines to protect you and to protect me. So why not follow them? You know, especially if this is not a, a need that you have to do. And as for Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, 
when she became married to the Prophet ﷺ, this is the thing that the 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 thing that Allah celebrated her for, and the Prophet himself, he loved her so much for, was not being a businesswoman. It was being his supporter. Putting more, yeah. Being his supporter, being at the side of the Prophet ﷺ. She was there in the very beginning, and you know. When the Prophet was shaken to his core when he seen Revelation for the first time, it's amazing that he came home not to Abu Bakr. He came home to his wife Khatija. Yeah. And the words of reassurance that Allah would never humiliate a man like you, that is what kept him going and strong. And the fact that she spent her money and used it to allow him to further the message of Islam is what made her a hero, a heroine, not the fact that she was a businesswoman. So if you want to look at Khatija, look at her holistically. Mm, 100%. Don't pick and choose. She is our mother. She is a guiding light to men and to women. But let's look at the whole picture first. You know? 100%. And even there is a... I'll just finish on this. That There is a verse in Surah Duha that some scholars say is a reference to Khatija. We found you financially stricken and we enriched you. Imam Qurtabi said that enrichment came through Khatija. So and that the financial ritual. Yeah. So that verse is actually celebrating Khadija radiallahu So she is mentioned in the Quran, at least in this verse. SubhanAllah. That was that was a deep story, man. I'm telling you, that was a deep story. That's just got me thinking. The brother one. Huh? The brother one. Yeah, the brother one. Was this the same brother you drove and was listening to a life coach? Yeah. Lala make things easy for him. I mean I mean. Yeah. Um kind of bring the podcast to a close. Um I know people are seeing the three books here, which we are going to get to, inshallah. Um, I want to quickly touch upon brothers who have found themselves in marriages. And I'm sure this the same applies to sisters as well. But I'm talking in the context of the conversations we've had mainly with brothers mm. who didn't ask the right questions, who didn't inquire as much before they got married to their wives. To then marry them. Or they, did, they thought that they wouldn't care about certain things until they got married. Yeah. For example, male friends, yeah. uh, male colleagues, um, beautifying herself uh, in every environment except the home for him. So, dawat, weddings, yeah. Eid, um, any kind of family gathering, social media pictures. Social media pictures. The, yeah. Her best self is for those environments. But Bichara gets, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he gets a dud version, nothing happening at home, yeah? So, Allah yeah. And then, and then yeah. obviously, the, having the male friends one is a major one. Some brothers, they, they thought, okay, I mean, how close can she be with the male friend? But yeah. like afterwards. What, what, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would your advice be to, to, to two groups of men? Yeah. Those who are looking for perspectives and those who have now found themselves in that situation. What is the best way to address these problems? I think that a lot of brothers, when they get married, they're a bit naive. They, uh, I was just speaking to a brother recently. Um, I said, you know, he said, I'm looking to get married. I said, okay, what, what qualities do you want in your wife? He's like, what do you mean? I said, what, is, what does 10 out of 10 look like to you? Yeah. And he's like, I didn't really think you were going to ask me that question. I've never thought of myself. I said, why not? Why not? And I said, I'm not asking you to be fussy, but I'm asking you, do you know what you want? And he's like, you know, she prays five times a day, wears her child. I said, okay. Anything else? Like, if she doesn't have these things, you will not look. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't think of it. And I find that many brothers in this situation that they haven't actually thought through what they want. It's a little bit naivety, but it's also a little bit being idealistic as well. As long as she's on the sunnah. Yeah, Habib, what does that look like to you exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, 
So this is one thing, and the second thing is that how to ask those questions. You know, you don't want to come across as like uh, an investigator. Mm. So in 2005, I I saw on your profile <laughs> yeah. that you yeah. like, well, this guy's so a creep, man. From 2013, <laughs> this, this guy's a creep. So uh, you have to know what you want, and you have to be able to you know uh, find mm. out whether those things matter to you, and if they do, you need to ask about them. But some people, it doesn't matter to them. You know, for example, the friends one. Uh, Alhamdulillah, in my mind, I didn't have that question because I. We weren't living in that time where, you know, somebody would have a Facebook profile and have loads of guy friends. But today, that's a reality for most people. 100%. Yeah. So you should ask him, does that matter to me? And most probably the answer can be, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, it, if it doesn't matter to you, then there's a matter with you. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's full of lines. No, he's really easy. He's all about lines. <laughs> lines <man>. Must be. <laughs> Lord Sugar's been watching this. <laughs> Get those lines. <laughs> No, but it's true. If it, if it, if it, what I keep saying is that if it doesn't matter to you, then it doesn't matter, that's right? That's secondary issue. Yeah, yeah, that's secondary issue. But if it does matter to you, because that's what I'm saying is is more general. Like for example, virginity. A lot of brothers, you know, um, didn't ask this question. Maybe once upon a time it was an appropriate question, but in our days, I think it, it is an appropriate question, especially if it matters to you. Like you ask yourself, if I found out that my wife, in a halal way maybe or a haram way. Had this relationship, billah. How would I feel about that? I know someone who uh, he didn't bother asking that question, and her sister alluded to a past as well. Good on her that she alluded to a past. He didn't pick up on it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, either way, when he married her, and you know, they consummated the marriage, he realized he couldn't handle it. He divorced her. He divorced her, and the thing is, what a wow. disaster. If you just asked yourself, does and that matter to me or not? And, and you could have avoided I understand that some something like that. Sensitive so, questions like that. You, uh, you know, if a you're not experienced or been in a situation yeah, where right. you don't know how to ask that question, how to explore that subject. Yeah, but there's this ways. Is tricky. Seek yeah, the yeah. seek the advice. Yeah. find examples. Speak exactly, to brothers yeah. who have been in a situation like that and they've had to ask that question in a roundabout way. Yeah, there's ways of asking. You could ask, have you had any previous relationships? Yeah, it. I mean, the thing is, it's a two. It's there's 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 two people here, right? So. You, if that question matters, ask that question. As a sister, you don't have to answer that question. If you don't think that this is going to go any further with this brother, don't answer that question. Mm -hmm. That brother could use that against you. He That's could right. dishonor you with that information. So therefore, as a sister, if you believe that, you know, other boxes are ticked, ticked here, I actually like this person, how should I answer this? Answer it in an indirect way. Mm. Do not be explicit about things. Just say, you know, uh, I've done, uh, you know, I had a pass, I asked Allah to forgive me, and I never turned back to that. Leave, let that brother digest that information, mm -hmm. and then he decides what he wants to do. But then what do you do in that situation, other bandha you just mentioned, he, uh, Mrs. alluded to, he still didn't get it. He still didn't get it. <laughs> he still didn't get it. Then what? He needs to listen to his podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. What's wrong with yeah, you? Okay. No, some, that's really, 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 really yeah. interesting um, points. Man. Another one, then, before we kind of bring the podcast to kind of a close is what about the brothers who don't care the, the brothers who don't care about you know you know just flaunting their wives and making videos of them and doing tiktok videos well, they have having male they, friends or whatever their red lines are there are no they're red like, they're like the, the, it's like a really light red yeah yeah, yeah. and the and boundaries are so far it's like a cricket boundary yeah yeah and the red line is like pink 
it's like it's pink. It's I pink. thought it was gonna say rainbow. Yeah, <laughs> rainbow. yeah whatever. It's, def- it's not red. It's definitely not red. It's definitely not red. Yeah. What, what would you just some advice to them brothers to at least understand that perhaps they should care? Yeah. And so I, I, I personally, I've thought about this a lot actually, and I think that people don't know why they get married, and they don't know what they know what they're supposed to do when they get married. So there is one critical verse in Surah Tahrim. Allah says, "Ya amanu, anfusakum nara." Believers, save yourselves and your families from a fire. And the scholars say this is the the primary target of this instruction are husbands, fathers. So what that means, therefore, is that your number one objective behind getting married, or as a husband, as a father, is to get these people and take them with me into Jannah, save them from the hellfire. That is my responsibility. And I need to carve out a lifestyle that's going to be conducive to giving them the best opportunities to save themselves. Now everything else will fall in line. Mm. All these smaller issues start to make more sense as, you know, that's, I should figure out about that. This is more important. You know, mm. what, am I, what is my kids listening to at the moment? Mm. What are they watching on TV? What, what's, what does my wife talk about when she's on the phone to her friends? This is not going to get us into Jannah. I need to work on this. I am the murabbi to my family. That is the way you should look at yourself. 100%. I am the teacher to my family. And as a teacher, I need to hold that standard. And as a teacher, I need to be actively involved in their life in trying to shape it so that it leads to that. And even if you fail, you did your duty before Allah. And you will get that on your account. You did it. Even if your wife didn't listen to you, even if your children listened to you, you got it. Just like Nuh his wife was treacherous towards him. His son disbelieved in him. I mean, it just boggles the mind. He is from Ulul Azm, the five greatest men, prophets, to mm. walk the face of the earth. And his own wife was treacherous towards him. And, you know, she, she used to say, that, you know, somebody said that she used to go around saying, you know, my husband's baghal. Mm. You know, my husband is a madman. Mm. Imagine how hurtful is that? And his own son, when his dad said, come on board the ark. Look, the rain is coming down. It's going to flood. He said, it's okay, I'm going to go to that mountain over there. Lord, I'm, I'm good. How devastating. But Nuh is a, is a legend, is a hero, is our example. Even though prophets. that didn't work. Why? Because he did it for Allah's sake. And that's what you have to re- recognize as a husband, as a father. You're on a mission. And everything that matters in that mission is what you need to do. And whatever doesn't matter, put it to one side. It's a distraction. Yeah. Bring the podcast to a close. I think some of the themes that we've spoken about today um, can also... Be, you know, rooted back to perhaps uh, the kind of generation that is emerging in light of social media, in light of um, instant gratification, instant information, no meaningful time commitment, right? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you, Sheikh, you know, um, even this whole kind of like um, the millennial, uh, and what's, what's, the, what's the generation that comes after the millennials? Z, yeah, generation Z, Z. Yeah, generation yeah. Z yeah. So, so you know, this kind of like just, just want, wanting things quickly and instantly, and and you know, uh, a sense of entitlement, right? And these can tie in very easily with those other problems that we spoke about, right? Mm. Not meaningfully connecting with the Quran and Sunnah, not meaningfully committing to seeking knowledge, not meaningfully trying to build a relationship with Allah Yeah. We have three very beautiful looking books with some powerful titles here. Mm. We have The Kingdom of God, which is actually a very interesting name because it's. Uh, we have the film The Kingdom yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got The Simple Seerah, mashallah. And we've got The Heart of the Quran. You wrote and had these books published. How long did it take you to get all three done? 
Um, so, Alhamdulillah, in the space of two years, we published these three Mashallah. books. Yeah. And prior to putting pen to paper, did you ever envisage getting three books done in that space of time? No. Uh, so I was never good at English when I was young. I hated English. <laughs> I scraped through C and GCSE as well. Uh, my mom, that was only because mum got so much tuition thrown at me. So this book here, the the first one, the Heart of the Quran. So this is the first one, yeah. Tafsir Surah Yasin, yeah. That one um, I only did, Subhanallah, because one of my students, uh, he kept on bugging me because like, we studied this surah together for about four years. Mm-hmm. As a weekly dars on a Sunday morning, seven thirty a.m. for four years, we took studying Surah Yasin, and then afterwards he compiled these. Massive set of notes, okay? And then he said, uh, you know, start, you should publish this as a book. And I was like, come on, don't be silly. <laughs> Me, publish this book. <laughs> nah. Honestly, it was like, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I, I'm not even interested in doing that. So this brother, Ahmed Hamouda, his name is. Oh, Ustad Ali's brother. Yeah. Oh, top Ahmed brother. Hamouda. Uh, may Allah give him Jannah for this. Amin, amin. He... Uh, went through the notes. He um, edited them a little bit. And then he printed them out and bound them with a cover, put it in a box. And we had, uh, I think, some meeting or something in some faraway place. And he was there, I was there, and he said, I've got a gift for you. Took me to the side, opened this box. Surah Yasin by Asim Khan. I was like, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So Ali went and did this. Ahmed, sorry, sorry. Ahmed went and did this without you knowing. Without me knowing, he did all this. As and a surprise, put, yeah. And he gave it to me and I was like, what is this? When I saw my name on the front cover, I thought, I could possibly do this. And then what happened is that I thanked him and I said, you know, I'll have a look at this and maybe we'll do something. Initially, I thought, oh, maybe I'll just change a few things around and, you know, make it work. But I read it and I thought, no, no, this, this is not working. This is too academic. It needs to be more for general people. The laity. So then I wrote the whole thing over. Actually, when I decided to go abroad for two weeks by myself, and uh, my my wife wasn't very happy about that because I was already traveling for so I said I need to go away for two weeks, uh, and she's like, "Why? Well, I, I need to work on this project book." She goes, "Come on, don't, you just got to have a good time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're gonna do over there. I was like, "No, no, for real, I want to go because I need I need quiet. I need to be away from all these other things." And you know, Mel Rewarder, she I mean, I mean, uh, she said, "Okay, go for it." So okay. I went And in that two weeks I wrote uh, a quarter of this book And only then I believed That actually I could do it So after that I just cracked on with it Came back and then Alhamdulillah so How many holidays in total? No, you? no She doesn't allow me to do <laughs> These are not holiday material now. <laughs> That was just the, the belief I suppose So, you know, so, so, so Alhamdulillah Absolutely So when our brother Ahmed came to you What did he present you with? Initially. He presented me the notes from okay. my dars yeah. uh, that he had edited and you yeah. know kind of smoothed over in in a book form. Yeah, he printed it out in, in a book and he got it bound with a cover. Did it look like this? No, not not a design cover. Okay, just a plain, just plain. I probably okay. I still have it in my in my in my loft room. Okay, so in this is OG so, copy. So this is yeah. a commentary on Surah Yasin with diagrams and illustrations. Yeah, the, I mean the idea is look. Um, I remember learning Arabic in Egypt, and I find it so difficult. I almost gave up on it, and I felt like you know a lot of people don't read uh, the Quran because they don't know Arabic, and they don't read Tafsir because Tafsir literature is very dense, very academic. So when I got to the other side, when I could learn a new this Arabic, is this is very unique because you've got a revelation timeline of Surah Yasin. You've got the this is the prophetic because it's a Makkah. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Right? So you've yeah, got yeah. the year of private da'wah, then the fourth and fifth year of public da'wah. Yeah, well, there's the a timeline in the beginning, yeah. Just to show when the surah was revealed, to yeah. give it that context, you know. These things can be very powerful. It is powerful. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I thought to myself, look, how do I learn in university, in college? How do people Absolutely. like us grow up learning? We don't learn that traditional way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn with visuals, we learn with diagrams and tables. And it and communicates that. That's the yeah. first thing when I, when I saw some of the diagrams. It was like, it's you're learning. That's right. It, it kind it's of makes you into that way. study mode, isn't it? That you're you're accustomed to. So then I, I thought I'd do it based on that type of format, where it's kind of like a bridge. You know, it takes you into the tafsir genre uh, through this kind of vehicle of making it easy to, to read and to understand. And then after this came, then after that came this, uh, this Kingdom of God, which is um, tafsir of Surat Mulk. Um, just following the same, to be honest, of the heart of the Quran. But this one, I indulge in a bit more reflections. Mm-hmm. So things that I learned from the surah myself, I put them inside the book. So your personal reflections. Yeah, oh, I, lo- I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to tell you, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, because this is a great inclusion. No, no, because it, it, it then makes sense because people understand first and foremost. It gives it's a, a story. It's, it's, it's a journey. journey. It's a, it's a Makkan verse, a uh, Makkan chapter, and then boom, you see where the verses were at what time, at what point, of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's life. Sirah as well, yeah. Fantastic. How long did it take you to complete this one? Start to end? Uh, about a, a, a year, I think, maybe. And no holidays. No, no, no holidays. Okay, no. Cool. <laughs> I really need to go on those holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And um, the most latest. Yeah, this is the latest one, the simple Sirah. Can I open this? Bismillah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got bookmarks and citations. Yeah, don't take the books on, so I'll get killed when I get home. And Toiris, and Brother Toiris, me and a forward by Mufti Menk. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So the idea of the book is to write a that one is forward of a, a, a novel really? yeah a novel version or rendition of the seerah and this never been done before strangely in english language never been the case that you read a seerah book and it's been kind of created into that storytelling narrative mm-hmm. it's always very historical names dates this happened that happened so for youngsters i mean my my daughter is 11 years old you know that's, that's super creative are you like the okay, Alhamdulillah. Oh, this is, you've got, you've got, you've got, is this your idea? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was my idea, yeah. But I took it from uh, East Islander Masjid. I've not seen that. East Islander Masjid, yeah, they've got that. Um, so, so I forgot what I was going to say now. Sh- but, um, the shout-outs. Mm-hmm. These are the sponsors to the oh, chapters, yeah. Oh. The sponsors of the chapters, so there's 12 chapters, I think it's 14 chapters, is 14 sponsors. Uh, may Allah reward those people, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they support. It got... We started the crowdfunding and yeah. the response was just unbelievable. It was before Literally, the social media. It was out. unbelievable. There was like fifty thousand pounds worth of pre orders and sponsorships of this book within three months. And that really propelled me to want to publish it as quickly as possible. And it just showed that the Ummah, you know, does want to learn. Yeah. It does want to yeah. learn. It does have a craving and appetite to know about the Prophet Sallam and to go on that journey and they're willing to put their money uh, to that cause as well so I, it made me realise that you know what there's, there's voids there's gaps that we need to fill and, and this is one of them that you know for people that don't read and, and the younger audience the younger adults they need literature that is that is basically in line with the kind of stuff they're already reading mm-hmm. like you know the Harry Potters and all the rest of it so easily all, digestible readability yeah. But not just that. It's it's not just it's not just the language. It's also about the style. So you know, storytelling is a science. You know, some of the best speakers in the world they they they're great on account of their ability to tell stories, take people on a journey, help them imagine things. And there is a science behind that. You know, I only came to learn that when I started writing this book. Now, from 
back then it was like needs to have a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> as long as it's got that, it's a story. No, Habibi, man. Hollywood, Netflix, people love it because they have cracked the science of storytelling. storytelling. That's basically Absolutely. it. And my journey on storytelling started in Surah Yusuf um, because you know the first verse is about he saw that dream. The eleven stars yep. and the sun and the moon prostrating, mm. and that dream in storytelling is actually called foreshadowing. It's when you tell the end of the story in the beginning. It's powerful. Yeah, and it's it really unfolds powerful. with the ex- anticipation brewing in the back of the mind of the reader that how is this going to so end up like that? Because you know well right now, is yeah, he yeah. going to? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a twist. There's a turn. Oh, and then when it comes, when it goes full circle, Ashenna. then it's like, Allahu Akbar. Yeah, yeah. That's the Quran. That's the Quran, you know. So we've got everything. Like I said to you before, you know, it's all there in the Quran. You just have to read. You have to read with an open heart, sincere heart. Allah will show you things that you know you didn't think were possible, and give you clarity that you didn't think was achievable. So let's let's quickly just go over. It. So three books in round about two years. Yeah. One, yeah. two, and three. This is the one which you thought would never come into fruition. Yeah. Had it not been for uh, Abdul Ahmed, book one. Yeah. This took you. Uh, to write 18 months, I think. 18 months. Yeah. This took you? At about a year. And this took? Six months. Wow. So we went from a year and a half. But this one, I had to get help. I I, uh, I had a writing coach. Okay. That um, I used the service of a writing coach to help me, a Muslim sister in South Africa. Wow. Mm. And this is from someone who never envisaged writing books. I didn't read books. I don't read books. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so, so I'm ashamed to say that. By okay. way. I'm not saying it proudly. I'm ashamed <laughs> to say that I didn't used to be a bookworm when I was young. So, so tying this into the themes that we've spoken about, right? Um, the things that we should be busying ourselves with, and the kind of things that we perhaps we shouldn't be busying ourselves with. Yeah. Last piece of nasiha from you to our listeners, to our viewers. Uh, brothers and sisters in t- From a time productivity point of view Yeah Right Because we spoke about When we opened the podcast About masculinity And we spoke about These concepts And how In fact If we go back to the Quran um, What does Allah say about The men and women Which he as a wajal praised in the, in, the, in the Quran Yeah So naturally For us to find that If you're not already connected You need to connect mm. if, you, if you're connected But not connected enough Increase that connection mm. So this is essentially About a time of uh, A matter of productivity Yeah What would your concluding advice be To the Muslims In terms of how they manage their time And how in fact Managing your time With productive things yeah. That will benefit you Can in fact actually address Those problems Which we actually discussed Throughout the podcast Yeah No it's, it's very true actually So there's like one Main thing If you manage to crack that Then everything else Starts to fall in line In some form or shape I think it's the vision uh, as, a, as a Muslim Woman or man You need to have a vision in life What do you want to achieve And that vision Needs to have alignment With the Akhirah This is one important Thing that people Don't connect together so they'll have an ambition, they'll have a vision, but it's only about business, for example, or getting rich or becoming popular or something else. But it doesn't align itself with the akhirah. It doesn't align itself to getting the highest position in paradise. So you need to think of a vision and you need to think how is that going to be aligned with my fate in the akhirah. As for the vision itself, one size does not fit all. It's every single person's talent and skill that they have. They create their vision based on that. And if you don't know what that is, which a lot of brothers and sisters say, I don't know what that is right now. So don't worry, 
all you do is you commit yourself to a life of learning and worship to the best of your ability and Allah will open that door for you. And I say that from experience because these three th- books here, I never ever envisaged myself writing at all, never mind uh, three books. And the reason I managed to write is is uh, is quite interesting because you might be thinking, like, he, doesn't, he wasn't good at English, he never used to read. How's, how's this guy writing books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was there was a a class I started with Sheikh Haytham. Uh, may Allah preserve him. In Zal called uh, Zal Maad, it's a study of a Sira book by <coughs> Ibn Al Qayyim rahimahullah. It was in my local masjid, and it lasted for six years. In those six years, I became the note taker of the class, and my my notes uh, were used to give exams to the students as well. So what happened is that I started becoming the guy that I used to write. Okay, and taking notes, and I'm, I'm researching. I could pull this hadith from here, pull this ayah from here, make sure it makes sense. You know, the grammar is all over the place. Like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm supposed to use who, whose, and who is with apostrophe. I don't know anything. So, I'm over the course of six years, I kid you not, I'm learning English grammar because I'm taking notes on this sirah dars. That's crazy. And only through those six years, I realized how bad my English was because I did pharmacy. You don't need to know. You know, you to know. Yeah, I don't need to know how to write, you know, because that's all scientific stuff is like, you know, clinical trials and all the rest of it. So, but I'm, uh, even though I was in uni at that time, I, I realized, you know, my English is so poor. So over the course of these years, I learned how to write. But I didn't know that that would become the means for me to do this later on. So you don't need to have the grand vision with details all filled in. You just know that Allah will open that door for you as long as you commit yourself to learning mm. and, and, and having that desire to do something for the sake of Allah, wherever that is. Um, a random one, only because you mentioned it. Uh, so you did pharmacy in university? Yeah, I still work as a pharmacist. Oh, you're still a pharmacist? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. You want some drugs? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Which ones you got? <laughs> so that's, it was an absolute yeah. pleasure having you on. It's my pleasure. No, Honestly, no. it was. Yeah, Honestly, alhamdulillah. I thought, I'll accept it. I mean, I mean, Barakallah And uh, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and um, lots to take from brothers and sisters and friends. Um, I hope you all enjoyed and benefited from today's discussion as much as we did. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Um, you can find this uh, show on all the major audio platforms. Please look into investing uh, some money into buying these beneficial books, which I'm sure you can find on Amazon. Yep, all of them uh, on Amazon. All of them on Amazon. Um, let me just show you one more time. In chronological order of when they were written and published, we've got the heart of the Quran. We have the kingdom of God. And we have the simple seerah. Brothers and sisters, we spend a lot of money on many things which quite frankly uh, don't really benefit us uh, in this life and and many times they don't benefit us in the hereafter either. Um, So invest a bit of money. If you think that you were affected by some of the topics of discussions today and you probably thought, well, how does buying these books reconnect to those problems? Well, it was there. We spoke about it. If If we accept as Muslims the answers are in the Quran and the Sunnah, we need to connect with those source texts. And one of the ways in which we invest in it is to actually find literature that will help us connect with it. And I can't find any better example in terms of shorter, bite-sized readability literature than what Ustad Asim has written. And of course, I try your utmost best to connect with the actual uh, Mus'af itself. Um, brothers and sisters, until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 
Blood Burma's podcast for five years production.